So the Ramchal says that the din is inescapable, and the only way to reverse din, or the only way to undo din, is you have to fulfill certain criteria. But if you do fulfill those criteria, so then you can taka succeed. When we, we saw the Ramchal, and it's a question that we haven't fully addressed, f- haven't fully answered, is the Ramchal, when he starts with his, his shtickle on, on, on din, he asks the obvious kasha of how can tshuva undo what's done? And he answers the akiras harotzoin is ka akiras maisa. That when you remove the rots and you remove the maisa. What we understood is that granted you can remove the maisa but you can't remove the act because the act has physical ramifications the person that murders the corpse still lies on the floor even though you've done tshuva and uh, the adulterous child still walks on the face of the earth even though you've done tshuva it doesn't become a not mamza because you did tshuva so what does the ramchal mean that you can reverse the act as well how can you remove the act from its ears and the teresi which was circulated amongst the shir were along the lines of, and obviously this requires further build because it's a very complicated principle, but I think the direction is correct. That the way we see the world is that the world is a world of, of Hashkoch Hashem. And there's nothing in our lives that can ever happen to us which is not the Ratzon Hashem. Even the actions of a Baal Bechira in relation to us. Even if a Baal Bechira, an Adam, does something to us, we also look upon it as, as Hashkocha. It's not only when natural events occur to us that we look upon it as Hashkocha, something happens in a person's life, but when the Baal Bechira does as well. And the truth is, it's almost impossible to conceive of Hashkocha without factoring into it the notion of Baal Bechira, because most things in the world happen through the um, involvement of human endeavor. The fact that a person can be involved in any type of good or bad event, generally there's some human involvement which was a choice on behalf of that human at some point in time. If a person is, for example, if a person's in a faulty car and the car for some reason gets stuck, so the ashkocha is a vadai, that is ashkocha in the fact that he got stuck, but there's also ashkocha in the mechanic that fixed the car or the factory worker that made the car and here the bechira, how he should make it and how he should fix it. So ultimately, it's impossible to almost have an event in the world unless it's a natural disaster, a hurricane, a rainfall, a flood that doesn't have some type of involvement of bale bechira. And therefore, just like in, in, in a removed sense, people who have a freedom of choice influence the events which occur to us and we still understand they're coming through Ashkoch Hashem Hashem is guiding them so to direct one-on-one contact is also Ashkoch Hashem that means every word that every person ever says to you we also understand this Ashkoch that's according to the situation because Hashem will put that guy in that situation he can't not control himself that's always the the philosophical question of predestination and freedom of choice. HaKadosh Baruch controls, it's called Gzairu Bechira, HaKadosh Baruch controls and decrees. How does that work? If he decrees, so then, so then he's controlling, and if he's, if he's not decreeing, so then he's not in control, and that means people. It's, it's, so that I don't attempt to have an answer to, and that's one of the stories of Sabria, and I don't know how it works. And, and, but of course, Freeman has an answer to it. Freeman just puts on his 
Tatian look. And Freeman, how would you like in in a few short words to describe the question that the Rambam says there's no answer to? I'm sure you've figured it out since then. Okay, that's amazing. I appreciate you. See, see how much you've grown since you got married. There's no way as a bocha you'd have left it. You would have actually gone into that 50-minute Russia. But now you've got a wife, so she's put you in your place, and you realize that it's not for you to do the talking. It's amazing how people grow in the marriage. A lot of married men at that point in time smiled. The bochim just looked back at me with glazed looks. Well, that's what you have to look forward to. Um, now, yeah, a lot of uh, nodding from the married, the Ezra Squarium over there, the coil in the bank. <laughs> Stuck of the coil. Which means as follows. It means that it's a very different way of perceiving life. Um, when you perceive life through the eyes of Ashkocha, so it takes away a very harmful psychological mechanism that we are inclined to use, I'm inclined to use. And that is what frustrates us in our growth very often and what allows us to be stunted in moving forward as B'nai Aliyah is the fact that we don't see the Ashkoch in our lives which then allows us to enter into a mode called blaming. Blaming and victimhood. We say, the reason why I am the way I am is because of the fact that my nursery school teacher called me stupid. And ever since then, I've looked at myself as stupid. And my first grade teacher said that my handwriting will never be legible. And ever since then, my handwriting is never... And, and my 10th grade teacher said to me, I'll never have any friends. And since then, I've never... I mean, oh... In other words, people lived their lives because throughout, the, throughout their lifetime there were people who had no daya bichlal to pronounce judgments on them, pronounce judgments on them, and they accepted those judgments as emmets, and then when they realized the effects, they say, I can't believe that person did to me, and they harbor um, enmity toward that person for the rest of their lives. Why don't we just say, Everything that happened to me was meant to happen to me. And everything that happened to me therefore can be processed. And everything that, everything that happened to me happened to me for a reason. And that's my nisoyan and that's what I have to work on. And when you process life that way, so then now you have it in your control to make your life work and you can no longer go through life but the ever because what am I meant to do? My Boba picked her nose. <laughs> and ever since then it's had this dramatic effect on my entire self-confidence because I just can't cope with life because of it. So, so it's almost it's, 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 it's acknowledging the responsibility of for life. Once we say that we can understand a little bit how the notion of tshuva, that kirasarotsoin can be oikar the maisa. Because it means as follows, that the maisa that occurs to you, any event that occurs to you is because who wants it to occur. And it's impossible for any event to occur to a person that wasn't meant to occur. So when Ruvain killed Shimon, granted Ruvain had the choice to kill Shimon, but Shimon also had to be killed, for whatever reason. When Ruvain does tshuva on that Maisa, and he disassociates himself from the act, 
by saying and wishing and passionately desiring that he never would have committed it, he takes out his own involvement in the process and all you're left with is Shimon dead but not Reuven as the murderer. So it, it's almost as if in the Olam Ames no murder has been committed. Shimon still died. Shimon needed to die. But your Meiser Tzicha has been moved from the reality. So Tshuva is not a Chesed Gomer. That's what the Ramchal says. It works. He's saying, he, the Losh Ramchal says, if we go to the paragraph, um, we'll, we'll see the get of the Ramchal. The Ramchal, the paragraph begins, it's, it's the third last paragraph in the chapter of chapter Dalet. And this is which is not from the letter of the law, that's what you're saying. But he adds on, it's not completely antithetical to Din. There is a tzad to say that it works. There's a svar to it. It's not just like a Kodesh Baruch who says, we'll make it. We'll just, uh, it's not like a Kodesh Baruch who waves a magic wand and he says, this is the way it works. Ah, we'll go back to Rebbechon's Kasha. That's where we're headed towards. The, the Ramchal says that this is a, it's, it's a chesed vadai, but it's not soisa the din that in place of the desire you had to do the chet, and the hanoa you received from the chet, you have the regret, and the pain. So therefore, it's not, it's not a contradiction in the gamre. There is a tzad to say, of course it's not mikaradin either. Mikaradin, you wouldn't, you wouldn't allow the tzad to be an operati- operating mechanism. But it's not completely lehefech of the din. Now let's go back to Rebbe Khanun's kasha. Do you all remember Rebbe Khanun's kasha? Just maybe we'll have a brief interruption while we maybe resuscitate some of the flagging souls in the shem. Hi guys. Um, like to welcome you to Mr. Shem and perhaps just to keep your interest at a peak um, I'll share with you a medrash which may be helpful for moving forward in Ali Musa. what did Rabbi Yisrael want when he started the Musa movement and what did he do one of the deepest tragedies of modern Judaism is that the Musa hasn't firmly entrenched itself in our door to the way that perhaps it could have. And I really believe it's, 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 it's a tragedy of... It's a tragedy of... on a gigantic scale. Bishra came along and he saw there was something lacking in the Torah of his door. And he went out of his way to try address it. What he felt was lacking, I mean, I'm sure there are many things and there's a lot more depth to it than I can comprehend or express, was that the Torah had become somewhat flat. There wasn't the same life to it. There wasn't the vibrancy. It's almost, it became over-intellectualized in the Litvisher world. And he introduced the, the world of Musa. What the Bale Musa says, what Yisrael did to the Olam Torah is what Avram Avinu did to the world. Avram Avinu, the major says the following analogy. 
Once there was a man who was walking through a forest <coughs> at night. It was a cold and rainy night. And as he trampled his way through the mud on the path that he was going in this deep and dark forest, there was a flash of lightning and he saw behind a tree there was a man, a tall man, standing with a sword drawn. When he saw this, his heart filled with fear and he turned on his heels and he fled, running through the mud and through the slush until he reached safety. That same night, along the same path in the forest, another man treading his footsteps. And as he got to the same part, there again was a flash of lightning. And again in that flash, the man saw this foreboding figure, sword drawn, ready to pounce. And instead of turning his tail and fleeing, he started to edge his way forward, step by step, until as he got closer, with caution and with prudence, the man that had been standing there with sword drawn disappeared because there was no man there. There was a rock and the way the light was cast, the rock next to a tree looked, it was, appeared as if there was a man who had his sword drawn, but really there was nothing. It was a fiction, it was an imagination. Before Avram Avinu, the tzaddikim, when they saw the Ra, when they saw the evil, they were petrified. They turned and they fled and they ran and they hid away in their places of security. And Avram Avinu said, there's nothing to fear. Go ahead prudently and enter into the depth of darkness itself and there you will see there was nothing there to begin with. By entering into the pits of the darkest places, you'll see that when you shine the light of Chochmah, the darkness dissipates and there's nothing, there's nothing threatening and there's nothing dangerous. Prior to Bishal Salanta, often the approach to engaging with the world was one of people were scared. They were reticent about involving themselves in worldly matters because they didn't want to expose themselves to the evils that lay within. Came along Reb Yisrael and he said, why not? With an insightful eye and with a solid grounding, you can go into the depths of the world with its temptations, with its allure, but with your strength of character, you'll see that it's tasteless and meaningless. You'll see, you'll see that the, the pleasure and the seduction, the appeal, when viewed through the Einar Chochmah, completely disintegrates. Because what you have is so much more deeply satisfying. You can only do that when your Torah is takavet. If your Torah is mitzvah sanoshim milumada, 
it's strict observance, it has no heart to it, so when you see the Ra and it has an allure and a temptation, you'll fall for it. Because you'll get something there that you don't get here. But when you give weight and meaning and luster and joy and vitality and depth and meaning and brilliance and goodness and a sense of connection from the deepest level of self, Ani le doidi, the I is connected to its doid. When it's Ani le doidi, the doidi li. So then you can show a person and you say, like Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma, when he met the man walking, as the Mishnah Perika Avi says, along the road, and the man said to him, Where are you from? Pass me the Perika Avi, so there's Siddha. And the man said to Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma, said, and, and, where are you going to and where are you from and he replied and he said once I was walking along the way and I bumped into a man and he greeted me he gave me shalom he bid me hello. Now why the Mishnah needs to include these details in this Brises, in the sixth perk. Sixth perk of Pika of is a Brises when Mishnah is. Why the Brisa needs to tell me that he was along with the Derech, Upagaba Adam Echad, and Nasani Shalom, Vikzati Lisham Shkrach. I mean get to the get to the meat and potatoes. We're not we're not talking over Maisalakhavi, I don't have to draw it out. So meaning every Part of the price is significant that there was an Yasin Shalom, there was a Chazar Shalom. Amali, Rebbe, Meizim Okmato. Rebbe. So he's a man of wisdom and learning. said, Rebbe, Meizim Okmato. From Vanus Kumstu. Where'd you come from? Amati Loi. I replied to him, Meir Gadoyle Shelchachamim Shel Soifrimani. I come from a, a great city where there are sages and scribes. Sofrim is a hard word to con- translate, we'll have to see. But Sofrim can also mean the Chachamim are called, the Takonis Rabbonim are called Divay uh, Sofrim. Sofrim can also mean Rabbonim, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're people that drive mezuzahs and twilling. Amali. So the man said to me, Rebbe, come live with us. Obviously, the man realized Rebbe Yitzhak Kisma's great value in Torah. And he wanted to start a cradle in his hometown. Rebbe, will you come live with us in our place? Va'ani, and he realized that it would be a hard sell. So he says, Va'ani, attain l'cha elef alafim dinre zahav, va'avanim toyevais, my goliath. And I will give you thousands upon thousands of golden coins and precious stones and pulls. I'll give you untold wealth. Sounds like an attractive offer. And I want you there because of your Torah. I don't want you there so you can... And I'll give you everything you can. I'll give you everything you want. I'll give you... You'll have everything. You'll have Torah. You'll have Gedula. You'll have everything. Omar Tiloi. Rabbi said to him, Omar Tiloi. And you replied to him, if you would give me or the gold and the silver 
silver and the gold, vavanim toivos, and all the precious jewels, umargolios, and all the pearls, sheba olam, in the entire world. If you gave me every, every possible earthly wealth, any da elabim kaim Torah, I would not, I would not live, but in a place where there would be Torah. Imata noiseni, imata noiseni. The value for me of being connected to that, the worth of being in a Mokham Torah was so clear to him that the allure, the allure of wealth, it wasn't a Shaila. It wasn't that he had this conflict with his Yetzirah and he went he said, I don't understand. You're offering me coals and I've got jewels. You're offering me piastres, grushim, sins in exchange for, for everything. I'm going to take you seriously. I'm going to take you seriously. In other words, there wasn't a, there wasn't a, a, a dilemma. There was, I see things through Eine Chochma. You're giving me something cheap for something expensive. Why would I make that exchange? The highest price you can pay is a few measly scraps. That's, that's what you're giving me. Fain Kotsu B'Sefer Tilim Adidei David Melech Yisrael Toivli Teres Picha Mi'alfei Zohar V'Chosef It's better to me your Torah than thousands of silver and gold. V'loi O'Dela when a person passes on to the next stage called Olam Haba, they do not accompany him, his wealth. As it says in the Pasuk, In your walking, she will guide you. When you lie down, she will guard over you. And when you awaken, Olam Habat Chiasamesim, she will be your conversation. When a person has the Eina Chochma and the confidence to see the world through those eyes, so then it's not that he has a struggle and he's such a hero for giving up so much for his Torah. He didn't give up anything. He only got. That's called a connection to your Torah. As long as you feel you're sacrificing, you're not connecting. Mysterious Nefesh, giving up for Torah, is never a sacrifice. If it feels like a sacrifice, it's not Mysterious Nefesh. Mysterious Nefesh means that it's easier for me to encounter the hardships to get what I have. Because relative to, to not having what I have, that's a far greater hardship than the hardships that I would encounter. Our connection to Torah has to be such that the choices we make aren't, I feel so, so good because I could have gone and become so much and lived in such and I'm living in this and I'm doing this. Wow, what a hero. If you feel that way, it's not real. If you feel, what do you mean? I gave, I call it giving up. What do you mean? Look what I got. Look what I got. I've given up this. I've given up something. And you see big people. There's no such thing as a mysterious nefesh. 
That's the thing. Meaning, there's no, there's no feeling of loss in the mysterious nefesh. It's only a feeling of gain. If you feel a sense of loss, it's not mysterious nefesh. It's just skewed priorities. But you're a good guy. I'm not, I'm not taking away anything from it. But again, <laughs> it doesn't mean don't make the decision that's essentially right. But that's not it. So now, Rabbi Israel wanted to do that in Torah. He wanted to take, he wanted to show you, he wanted to, to give you that. If you look at the Ra and you have the Toiv, so then the Ra actually loses its appeal. It's just not, it's just, it's just not, it's just not interesting anymore. It just doesn't do it for you. The question is, how do you develop, how do you develop that connection and that love and that, that, that. The Bali Musa said, the way to get there is by taking off the layers that you put that you've cemented over your inner self whereby the value that rests deep inside of you which automatically gravitates towards the Torah that's inside of you that the, the Malach sealed off when the P the Pe Pe Sach the peh, the mouth that opens up and is megale, reveals the inner world. At the time the person was born, the malach came and closed off that entrance to the inner Torah that you learned when you were in your mother's stomach. You learned that kola Torah kula, and it's all there, it's all inside. And then the pesach, the access point to that, was sealed. And the way you open it up, it doesn't get opened up all at once. It's opened up slowly over the course of time by uncovering it. You have to uncover it. You're uncovering layers. When you're learning Gemara in Lulav Agazel, you're not learning Gemara in Lulav Agazel, you're taking away the layers that stop the Lulav Agazel from being accessible inside of you, and then you try to create a pathway whereby through looking at the Lulav Agazel outside of you, you can now learn the Lulav Agazel inside of you. It comes out. It's a reconnection to self. The more a person is connected to self and the more Torah is an expression of self and feels that way, the less the less allure the temptations of the world are. The less the less allure they have, the less appeal they have, the less sparkle and shine. So the person looks at them and he says, You're gonna give me that dreary, dull life when you, when I could have this, I could have this. Every moment is so exciting. We've said before, it's not that the person's body will be revived, it's every moment of his life will be revived. Meaning, every moment of his life has a nitzchius in it, has an eternity in it. Every moment of his life is pregnant with eternity. What could be a deeper level of enjoyment than that? That your moments are eternal. There's nothing bigger than that, there's nothing more exciting, there's nothing with greater depth and magnitude. Questions, uh, Freeman? Uh, that is just a 